He went up on the and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this morning. Um, I thank you for your word, God. I thank you for the power that's in your word, and I pray that as we dig into your word this morning, specifically the Beatitudes, God, that, that you use the truth and the power of your word to, um, to humble us, to convict us, and, and just to work in our hearts and, and gradually transform us, God. I pray that um, as I stand up here and preach your word, that, that you work through me, that it not be my words, but yours, and, and I pray that um, no part leaves this room today not changed by your word. God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for his work on the cross. And I pray these things in his name. Amen. All right. So as we come near to the end of our time in the Beatitudes, I want to take a second this morning when I start by echoing something that Byron said several weeks ago when we started this sermon series. Because I think it's important that when we're reading and studying the Beatitudes, we have a solid grasp of, of what their purpose is in the lives of Christians. And so when we started this study, Byron made sure to point out the fact that these beatitudes or these blessings that are listed by Jesus, these aren't just keys to a happy life. Instead, this is Jesus' description of a blessed life. This is Jesus laying before us these qualities or these characteristics of a life that has been transformed by God. So it's not about happiness, it's about being blessed by God. And I think the more we study this, we would probably realize that these Beatitudes don't necessarily always align with what we think happiness is. And so rather than reading through these Beatitudes as some sort of a to-do list or some sort of perfect Christian bullseye that we all need to be aiming for, what we need to be doing is looking at each of these through the lens of our own self-examination. And so what I mean by that is as we read through these Beatitudes, we need to be asking ourselves if our lives as believers are reflecting these characteristics that Jesus is talking about here. And if they aren't reflecting these characteristics that Jesus is talking about, why is that? So if these nine Beatitudes are characteristics of a life that's transformed by Christ, and our life doesn't reflect these characteristics, what is that saying about us as Christians? 
And I don't want to be misunderstood as saying that if you're not living perfectly by each and every one of these Beatitudes, or if these aren't exemplified in every area of your life, that you're not a Christian, because that's not true at all. But as we're reading through these Beatitudes, we should be able to look at each and every one of these compare them against our own lives and see areas in our hearts where God has been working in us on each and every one of these things. And this week, as we move on to talking about persecution, it's going to be no different than the previous seven that we've talked about so far. And the reason I say that is because I think it can be very easy for us when we're studying these to look at these last two Beatitudes as almost like a little extra blessing that God tags on at the end. So it's as if Jesus is saying, like, a blessed life is characterized by these first seven. So a blessed life is characterized by being poor in spirit, by mourning, um, by being meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, pure in heart, the peacemakers. All of those things characterize a blessed life. And if you happen to be persecuted while you're at it, bonus blessings. Good for you. Here's an attaboy. But that's not the truth. The truth is... This eighth beatitude on persecution is just as much the mark of a Christian life as all of the others, if not even maybe more so. In fact, one commentary that I read as I was studying for this week actually referred to this beatitude on persecution as the most searching. And what he meant by that is this is one of the most telling metrics that we as Christians can measure our life, lives against because a life alongside Christ is one that will always be marked by some sort of persecution. So in the same way that being poor in spirit and merciful and being a peacemaker are these markers of a genuine faith, so too is experiencing persecution. And it's not something that we may have to encounter at some point in our lives. It's not something that we may have to go through later on. It's something that we as Christians are guaranteed if we're going to follow Christ. And so with that being said, I think it's important to understand what kind of persecution Jesus is talking about right here. So if you will read with me again in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, this passage is one that's very easy to misinterpret and in turn misapply. But luckily for our sake, Jesus threw in some key words here. So notice that Jesus doesn't just say, blessed are those who are persecuted. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. That's important right here. See, this is very important because people can be persecuted for all sorts of different things, right? But general persecution in itself is not the characteristic of a blessed life in Christ. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And if you remember a few weeks ago when Joe was up here preaching through the Beatitudes, he talked about righteousness, and he gave us a definition for what righteousness can mean in the life of a believer. And the, the definition that Joe gave was that righteousness is basically for someone to be formally approved or justified before God. And so what this means is that when God looks at us, rather than seeing us for these sinful, hard-hearted people that we are, instead he sees us as never having disobeyed him. And so if that's what it means to be righteous, what does it mean to be persecuted for righteousness' sake? Well, in order to get a better understanding of this, let's first take a minute to talk about what this doesn't mean. So first of all, it doesn't mean blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of their own self-righteousness. So if biblical righteousness is to be justified before God, 
Self-righteousness is this false notion that we often get that there's something special or something important about us that somehow earns us that justification. But according to God's word, that's not the case. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12 says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Seems pretty clear that we are not the righteous people on our own, right? But aside from the obvious fact that that thinking is unbiblical and wrong and backwards, there are several practical problems that also stem from our own self-righteousness. And the, one of the biggest of these, to put it very plainly, is that we become huge jerks. <laughs> when we live our lives with this notion that there's something special or something different about us that makes God smile upon us, naturally what happens is we become condescending. We become these people um, who look down on other people, who think less of other people, who try to tell other people how they need to be living their lives. In fact, that's the rep that Christians have gotten for years. I mean, what's the world's biggest complaint about Christians is that they're hypocritical, self-righteous jerks, right? That's what Christians always hear. And they're not completely wrong because a lot of us can be sometimes. And what you see in the world is people take joy in persecuting people who are jerks. That's fun for people. I think an excellent example of this is the Westboro Baptist Church. I don't know if you're familiar Um the Westboro Baptist Church, it's this group of people um, that they protest like funerals for um, soldiers. They, they protest funerals for people who are victims of like mass shootings and things like that. Um, fun fact, they protested my college graduation in Emporia, Kansas, because they thought that they were putting all these teachers in the world that were indoctrinating these kids with Satan and his message and all that. But anyway, this group, it's, it's this group of people that protest these things, and they have these these signs, these picket signs that they carry around that say these hateful and rude and vulgar things. They um, talk about these certain people groups that God is sending to hell. Um, they even go so far sometimes to wish death upon people that they all do as sinners. It's a group that's hated by a vast majority of the world because of the way that they go about spreading this message. And what happens is when people encounter the Westboro Baptist Church, things always go bad. So people usually respond by yelling hateful things back at them, by having counter-protests. Sometimes people throw things at them. I, I bet there are several times where these people are picketing things and things resort to violence because of all the animosity. And so what you see about this group is they're a group that is disliked, and you could definitely say persecuted by many people. What we have to understand is they're not being persecuted because they're doing some awesome, righteous work for the kingdom of God. They're being persecuted because they're being self-righteous, hateful jerks. But let's not get too far removed because this doesn't just apply to groups like the Westboro Baptist Church. Again, this applies to us as well. I think if each and every one of us are honest with ourselves in here this morning, we could probably think of examples of times in our lives where we've experienced maybe some mild form of persecution that we thought was this righteous persecution that when we look back now, we realize it was entirely brought about by our own foolishness our own pride, and our own arrogance. And it's important that we understand that this persecution that we face for our own self-righteousness, that doesn't equate with this blessed life that Jesus is talking about right here. Notice also that Jesus doesn't say blessed are those who are persecuted for their political affiliation. 
think another common misconception, it's one that's been around ever since the beginning of humanity, is this idea that righteousness can eventually be achieved through political influence. So, prime example of this, the Jewish people back in Jesus' day, right? I mean, think about them holding out for years for this Savior who they thought was going to come as this royal um, political leader in their time, and he was going to take reign on his earthly kingdom. And what happened is because this is what they were looking for for so many years, they were repulsed when they met the actual Messiah. It didn't make sense to them that this Savior that they had been waiting for for years, that they had been telling their children about for generations, was some lowly carpenter who was associating with people who weren't these high priests and, and, and royalty and things like that. It didn't make sense to them that this poor carpenter could be the Savior that they had been promised, the one that they had been waiting generation after generation for. And I think when we're reading the Bible, it's easy for us to kind of, again, remove ourselves from that and see how foolish that was. But if we actually think about it, that rings true in our own lives today. We're doing the exact same thing. We get so caught up in the political world. We get so caught up in fighting for whichever political leader most closely reflects what we believe to be a righteous and, and, and Christian life. We get so caught up in this that we hate people with opposing viewpoints. We argue, we cut off friends and family members because they don't agree with us on our politics. What happens is the reason we get so caught up in this is because our politics and our religion have become so tightly intertwined with one another that we think that righteousness on this earth can be achieved through conservative leadership. But again, the problem we find ourselves facing is that this pursuit of righteousness, it isn't about righteousness, it's all about us. It's about the here and now. It's about us seeking out this comfortable Christian life that we've grown so accustomed to, and we don't want anything to change that. And the truth is, is that's not the righteousness that's promised through the gospel. The gospel of Jesus promises salvation through Christ and Christ alone. And through Christ and his death on our behalf, we become members of the kingdom of God, not of a kingdom of this earth. And this kingdom of God is one that goes far beyond any kingdom or any experience that we can have on this earth. And I don't want to be misunderstood as saying that our political affiliations aren't important, because those things are. We do, as Christians, have a responsibility to seek out and, and, and pursue leadership that honors God. We do have certain biblical principles that we should hold fast to and that we should be unwavering on always. And if you feel that you need to go march in the street for a cause that you deem just, by all means, go out and do so. That's fantastic. But... We have to understand that just because we may experience persecution in search of some political cause, that doesn't necessarily mean the same thing as being persecuted for the sake of righteousness. And because it doesn't mean the same thing, it's not guaranteed to produce this blessed life that Jesus is referring to right here. And so now that we have some examples about what it doesn't mean to be perse persecuted for righteousness' sake, let's talk about what it does mean. So one of the commentaries I read was written by a man named Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he puts it this way. He says, being righteous, practicing righteousness, really means being like the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, they are blessed who are persecuted for being like him. So again, we define righteousness as being justified or formally approved before God. Well, 
If we know the gospel, the gospel tells us the only avenue through which we can be justified before God is through the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 26 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Another passage in Romans is Romans chapter 5, verse 1. This is, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see righteousness is found only in Jesus in his gospel. And if righteousness is only found through Jesus in his gospel, to be persecuted for righteousness' sake can only mean to be persecuted for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's where we're going to find this blessed life that Jesus is talking about right here. See, when our lives are transformed by the gospel, there's this process that begins in us called sanctification. And what that means is throughout the rest of our lives from that point forward, we are gradually being made more and more like Christ. And what happens is, the more we resemble Christ, the more we're going to experience the very same persecution that Christ experienced throughout his life. John chapter 15, verses 18 through 20, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And he says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world will love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So true righteousness can only be found in Christ. And because of that, true righteousness will always be followed by persecution. It's the effect that Jesus has always had upon the world. And if we're going to follow Jesus, then there's no reason for us to expect anything different. And so now that begs the question of us all, are you being persecuted for righteousness' sake? So if we're going to apply these Beatitudes properly like I, like I talked about, we need to be using them to examine our own lives, right? So in light of what we talked about this morning, are we experiencing this righteous persecution that Jesus is talking about? Are our lives so aligned with Jesus that we're despised by the world in the same way that he was? Our church is fortunate enough to have an author on staff. You may know him. He goes by the name of Joseph L. Vincent. And in Joseph's debut book, The American Masquerade, an honest conversation on American Christianity, available at Walmart, Target, anywhere that's <laughs> Joe talks about these things, specifically this idea of persecution. He has an entire chapter dedicated to it called Suffering Isn't What It Used to Be. And just a heads up, a lot of what I'm fixing to say, I ripped off straight from Joe. So shout out to Joe for the resource. But the very first subheading in that chapter, written in bold letters, is you're not being persecuted. And to put it very plainly, that rings true for most, if not all of us in here. We aren't being persecuted. And it's not just us. The reality is that the vast majority of Christians in the United States aren't being persecuted. 
especially when we compare that to the persecution that was faced by the early church. So think about after Jesus died and was resurrected and ascended back into heaven and the church was beginning to spread throughout the world. What happened was early Christians experienced all kinds of persecution from those around them. They were mistreated by others. They were cut off by friends and families. They lost their jobs. They couldn't get other jobs. They would have homes and meeting places that would be destroyed by other people. And several Christians were arrested, tortured, and killed for no other reason than that they wouldn't denounce their faith in Jesus Christ. A prime example of this, Jesus' disciples, right? The people who were closest to Jesus, every single one of them, except for John, died a martyr's death. And even John was supposed to die a martyr's death, but somehow he survived being thrown into a boiling pot of oil, and so they're like, well, we'll just exile him on an island until he's an old man. What you see is even in the midst of all this extreme persecution that these people faced for the sake of the gospel, they remained unwavering in their faith, and because of that, the gospel message was able to spread throughout the world. What we also need to understand, this persecution wasn't just something of the past. It isn't something we was just talking about that was happening back then that we've grown out of. This is still a very real thing in the world that we live in today. I'm going to have to be careful here because I'm really not 100% sure what all I can and can't say, but Lacey and I recently had um, the opportunity to talk to some missionaries who spent some time in another country that is very hostile to Christianity and other religions. And after spending several years in this other country, they were eventually forced out because of circumstances but they talked about the people that they had met and encountered in their time in this other country. And they told stories of just the incredible faith that these people had. They told us stories of people who were arrested and who faced years of prison time. They told stories of people whose homes were barged into and searched and ransacked and torn apart. They talked about believers who were arrested and beaten and forced to renounce their faith in Christ. But even in the midst of this, these people in this country still continue to boldly not only worship God, but share his gospel message with other people, knowing good and well the danger that they were in. In fact, as they were telling us this story, one of them was even brought to tears as she was reflecting back on the faith of these Christians who knew the danger that their faith was putting them in, yet they had weighed the cost and they considered their relationship with Christ to be worth whatever persecution that brought about in their lives. And that's what Jesus is talking about right here when he talks about being persecuted for righteousness' sake. And like I said, the reality is, that's not happening in our churches here. And of course, on one hand, it's easy for us to chalk that up to the fact that we live in a country where we are free to openly practice and share whatever religion we please. And praise God for that. However, even though we don't have to be worried about maybe being imprisoned or martyred because of our faith, genuine faith in Christ should still bring about some suffering in the lives of Christians. And I know this because the Bible tells us that. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who desire will be persecuted. Not might be, will be. And the reason for this, as R.C. Sproul puts it, is because the unrighteousness in this world cannot stand to behold righteousness. 
So we live in a broken and sinful world that Paul tells us is naturally in enmity with God. So it hates anything that resembles that of God. And no matter how free our nation is, it's still filled with unrighteous people who naturally despise God, and they despise any genuine, life-altering faith in God. So I ask again, why are we not being persecuted? It's not because we live in a Christian nation that grants us the freedom to worship whomever we please. It's not even because we live in a nice, small-town Christian community where our faith in God is applauded by others. The reason that we aren't suffering for our faith, to put it very plainly, is because we aren't doing anything. It's because we aren't sharing the gospel. It's because we aren't addressing areas of blatant sinfulness in our lives and the lives of those closest to us. It's because we refuse to surrender ourselves fully to the life-altering transformation that comes from faith in Christ. And the truth is, is deep down, if we're honest with ourselves, all of us know this to be true, and the reason that we aren't doing these things is because we're afraid of the consequences that might follow. We're afraid of people looking at us differently. We're afraid of losing friendships and relationships. We're afraid of losing family members because we're quote-unquote too Christian. And basically, in the end, what all this amounts to is this deep cultural misunderstanding of how good God really is and how truly desperate we are for him. And I hope this doesn't come off as me trying to discourage or shame or talk down to anyone, because if I'm being honest with you guys, I am the absolute last person that should be up here preaching about this. As I studied for my sermon throughout this week, God raked me over the coals with this stuff. I mean, he chucked me down to absolutely nothing. In fact, to tell you the truth, I spent a lot of time this week in prayer repenting to God about my own lack of faith in him. The truth is, I'm the world's worst about this. As I think about my life and I measure my life against this beatitude right here, all I can see are countless examples time and time again of me compromising my faith or keeping quiet in order to maintain this level of comfort and peace that I'm accustomed to. In fact, if I'm being completely honest, I spent time this week wondering how genuine my faith really was because I couldn't think of a single example where I experienced persecution for the sake of the gospel of Jesus. That's scary. But praise God for bringing that to my attention. Praise God for exposing my own sinfulness and shedding light in some of these dark and hardened areas of my own heart. Because again, that's the purpose of these Beatitudes. That's what we're doing here. As we measure our lives against these things that Jesus is saying, we find our own sins and our own lack of faith being exposed and brought to light where these things can be dealt with. Where we can be filled and encouraged and brought near to God through the good news of his gospel. And we see that encouragement in Jesus' promise at the end of verse 10. Read with me again. He says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, the truth is, as counterintuitive as it may seem, there's actually a joy that comes from this righteous persecution that we as Christians are called to endure. 
A joy unlike any comfort or any peace that can be found on this earth. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And that right there, that's our encouragement as Christians. That's our hope as Christians. That anything and everything that we go through for the sake of the gospel on this earth will be worth it in the end, the day that we are perfectly reunited with the God who created us. So if you will, take some time this morning to be honest with yourself. Take some time to truly examine your heart against this beatitude right here. And let's embrace God's word as he exposes these areas of our lives where we've been made to compromise in order to avoid suffering for his sake. And then after doing so, after exposing these dark, secret areas of our hearts, let's then run to the gospel of Jesus. Let's release all these things of comfort that we so desperately cling to and embrace whatever suffering may come for his sake. All the while being encouraged by the words that Thomas read at the beginning of the service this morning in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, comfort, strengthen, and establish you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you again this morning for your word, God. I thank you for these beatitudes. I thank you for these, um, these markers of a blessed life that you've given us, God. And I thank you um, that we have these things to examine our hearts against, God. And I pray that that we be honest with ourselves in doing that, God. I thank you for this beatitude specifically on persecution. And as difficult as that may be, God, I pray that you help us to see why it is that we're not experiencing that. To figure out why it is that we're afraid to share the gospel and what may come from that, God. And I pray that as we address those areas in our hearts, that you um, not only expose them, but you heal us from those things, God. I thank you for the power of your word, and I thank you for the power of life that it has, and I pray that that, that work in each and every one of our hearts this morning. I thank you, and I pray these things in Jesus' name.